which I don't, I don't get paid a salary. And why am I doing this? Why are other people doing this? Other people certainly are doing it. Uh, there's big money if you do go into the advertising side of things. Big money. And it's definitely a market out there. It's a market uh, that's um, wide open to be exploited in this day and age. But why am I doing this? It's because really I think it's time that uh, people really understood that what's happening isn't just happenstance. It's not just a, an accidental view of history bungling along. I try to tell you and connect the dots for you how the big foundations and the bankers have been running this world for an awful long time along a socialist path to a totalitarian society. Back with more after this break. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. I try to show you on this particular show how the big system works together, and it really does work together internationally. It has been for a long, long time in an international system. And I've gone through many of the books in the past of the big players, at least the, the people who helped to get the system really going into the next phase which we've all been living through for years, going as far back as the beginning of the 1900s, actually since even the 1880s, when H.G. Uh, Wells was writing his first book. Uh, and it was uh, free love. Free love he was to promote, to destroy families. He wrote about it in his own biography. And the whole plan was set up to, to bring in a governmental system run on scientific socialism. It's also called Fabianism, a Fabian society. Fabianism really is a form of collectivism or communistic rule by bureaucracy and government. But there will be a, an intel, intelligentsia above them uh, really running the show. Lots of workers down below running everyone's lives but because that was a Fabian society. Instead of simply having a revolution and taking it over by one big push, uh, they thought it was much better to use incrementalism over a long period of time, little change by little change, and we accept the little changes and we adapt to them, rather than have a whole bunch of changes drastically changing all at once, like a revolution. You do it incrementally, and they thought it would take maybe a hundred years before government was in its full position of total authority. And they also said they would set up services that would become authorities over the public. It's no coincidence where all this hype today with the United Nations, with their World Health Organization pushing for mandatory global inoculations. Because if you go into the League of Nations, set up at the end of World War I, that's why that was part of their mandate then, to have the right, the right to forcibly vaccinate everybody on the planet with whatever they decided to use. Nothing is here by chance. And sure enough, you know, big players again, like Wells, like Lenin, and like um, Lord Bertrand Russell, the Huxleys, many others, all said it would probably take, as I say, a hundred years. By the millennium, they said, around that time, they'd really kick off for the final push and everything would be in place by then, which it certainly was. 
most of us don't get much of a history at all. If we do, it's a fake history or an altered, distorted history. But primarily, it's history with vast omissions written in them. If you don't get the whole story, you can't have a proper conclusion on anything. And we never get the whole story on anything. And we've been trained, as Skinner said, in the Skinnerian psychology, behavioral psychology, without even knowing we've been trained that way, because we adapt again so easily to everything that comes our way. Skinner said that if you want to alter the behavior of people's you just alter something in their environment. And I've gone through before how when the radio first came out, that altered people's behavior. They'd rush home to hear serials, ongoing serials. It always left you with a cliffhanger, so you'd tune in the next day. And if you weren't listening to that radio, you'd be off doing something else, you see. And then because you're now listening to that radio, they can also put propaganda in there. And then now everyone's getting the same propaganda, standardized across the board, same propaganda. Then TV came in, of course, fantastic tool, fantastic tool. And the British Commonwealth countries really took the lead on propaganda because they'd been at it so much longer in other areas, even through the printed media. That's why the BBC is owned by the government. It's a crown corporation, as they call it. And everyone in it, uh, I don't know if it's still the same, but everyone who works in the BBC had to come from Eton all the technicians, writers, and so on, to make sure that it was kept in the right class. Which just made me wonder why they put on this, these working-class uh, comedies like Eric Sykes and things like that uh, to portray what they saw of us, something we could c- communicate with or identify with. And uh, really it was all, again, propaganda and indoctrination, primarily through comedies. And in Britain for instance, right now. And we've seen this comedy system being used for attacking the family unit in America as well, because America copies everything that Britain does, where every dad is an idiot, an absolute child, actually, but his own children are smarter than him. He's always playing childish games, and his wife is so much, so, so much superior than himself. You get messages across through comedy, because, again, you're not critically thinking about it as you would be with a documentary. And even with the sexual variations we've gone through today, with preferences and all the rest of it, that was again put through comedy. That breaks the the ice, you see. And they're going for the last leg of this in Britain by using really awful, supposed comedies with, with dads or drunks and addicts and so on and still calling them comedies. And here's the Daily Express, Thursday, July the 23rd, 2009. And this will come here too. It says, thousands of the worst families in England are to be put in sin bins in a bid to change their bad behavior. And he says, this is the, 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 the Goring, I'd call him, the Goring, or Himmler maybe, of Britain, Ed Balls, announced yesterday. This guy's a real control freak. The Children's Secretary, this is what he is, set out £400 million in plans to put 20,000 problem families 
under 24-hour CCTV supervision in their own homes. Do you know it was about 20 years ago the American uh, Psychological Association said that would come because they would push for it to come? You think it's all chance it comes? We're living through a script, I tell you. We're living through a script. Every part is written years and years in advance. And we've all, we've all got used to the, to the idea now that cameras are in the streets watching us, so why not put them in your homes? Right? So they'll be monitored to ensure that children attend school, go to bed on time, and eat proper meals. Private security guards will also be sent round to carry out home checks, while parents will be given help to combat drug and alcohol addiction. Around 2,000 families have gone through these family intervention projects so far while kept that quiet. But ministers want to target 20,000 more in the next two years, with each costing between £5,000 and £20,000, a potential total bill of £400 million. It's amazing how we're all broke, but they can throw money out in these plans, eh? Ministers, no, ministers are just politicians. It's interesting to call them, they call them ministers, isn't it? In this strange crown democracy. Ministers hope the move will reduce the number of youngsters who get drawn into crime because of their chaotic family lives, as portrayed, listen, in Channel 4 comedy drama, Shameless. Shameless is the name of the drama. Sinburn projects operate in half of council areas already, but Mr. Balls uh wants every local authority to to fund them. He said this is pretty tough and non-negotiable support for families to get to the root of their problem. There should be family intervention projects in every local authority area because every area has families that need support. But Shadow Home Secretary Chris Grayling said, this is all much too little, much too late. Who created that culture, that nihilistic culture? I lived through a good part of that culture when they were doing it. I can remember Margaret Thatcher coming on television and telling the country, there's a generation growing up now that will never see work in their lifetime get used to it. And I can remember, too, when Maggie Thatcher changed the, the hours of the pubs opening and closing to get more and more youngsters in there with their welfare checks. And the reason she gave was it's far better to have them drunk and spending the government's money in the pubs than have them uh, rioting or protesting on the streets. And no one told the British people that they were being going, th- going through a pre-planned forced deindustrialization project set up so it'd be ready to amalgamate with the European Union. When was that decided? That they deindustrialize at the end of World War II. But this didn't tell the people. They lived through depression after depression. Mind you, there was no problem getting drugs. They, flo- they flooded into the country. Flooded. It's only one pound now, apparently, for a line of coke in Britain. One pound. Maybe five, five, maybe five pounds, four pounds for a beer. And all the ads you see on TV, too, it's all sports, sports, booze, booze, sports, booze, sports, sports, booze. So they create the problems. They create the, the unemployment. They make sure the drugs flow in. Then they make comedy shows about it. And they turn around and point to the public and say, look at you, you're all dysfunctional. The people are exactly what they've been made to be. If you would see the programming in Britain, how debased and degraded the program has been for years, you'd understand. 
of that's by accident. They know what they're doing at the top, the ones that give you your culture. But here you are. This is going to go, it's going to expand across the country, and it will expand across all countries because we're all to be monitored in our homes eventually. All of us, you see. Adaptation, we adapt and we adapt and we adapt. CCTV cameras in the streets. Uh, you get monitors in your cars to track your cars. Well, what's wrong with having cameras in your rooms? And that's how stupid people are. Utterly stupid. That's for the sheeple. I'll be back with more after these messages. through the matrix just talking of how the the big services that we have end up becoming authorities over the public and then telling you how to live and then now spying on you in your own homes and doing house inspections and all the rest of it we're going backwards backwards see that's how it used to be in the old days before council housing was bought uh, by the councils using taxpayers' money. And landlords used to just come in at any time and go through everything and so on. We'd even bother knocking. See, we're just scum, you see, to these people at the top. We're just, they, they call us clay to be molded. We're not really adults and humans, no. We're lesser beings, you see. We're to live in ignorance and with be told by our betters, our betters, those with the suits and ties that, that live up there, in the big buildings of Parliament. The Fabian system, you'll train them like animals because that's how they say they believe we are animals, that man is an animal. And you can train them, same as the Soviets, they said that you just take the base man and make him into anything you want. Same old idea. The only difference is, as I say, they abuse you by taking the work away they make sure you feel so low and really you feel like nothing on earth when you're living on a welfare check. And they tell you that you'll see no work in your lifetime and then the drugs flow in. Make sure that it's a drink culture. There's nothing but booze ads on TV all the time along with the sports. And they sit back and watch it all go into the dogs. Now they come back and blame the public after they disclose the fact that, yeah, they were deindustrializing under an agreement, an international agreement set up after World War II. And they did that right through the 1970s and 80s. It's great, isn't it, how the abuser turns around and blames the victim. Here's an article here that's along the similar lines to it because it's from Spiegel and it's from the 27th of July 2009. Big Brother is watching your BlackBerry. How wired gadgets encroach on privacy by Christian Stoker. With every high-tech gadget we buy, we give up a little more privacy. Many devices today are in constant communication with their manufacturer. And it's not just consumers who are losing their rights. The technology gives authoritarian states whole new ways of keeping tabs on individuals. 
don't look now, but no matter where you go, you're connected. We, or most of us, at least, have opened our front doors to large corporations, hardware manufacturers, software firms, and search engines. We've allowed them to rifle through our jacket pockets and handbags, and now they can do as they wish with us, or do the bidding of the powers that be in the form of a totalitarian government, for example. Don't believe it? Well, consider a recent incident involving the internet bookseller Amazon and two works by, ironically enough, George Orwell. Amazon had been selling the titles 1984 and Animal Farm to owners of its Kindle reader, the special e-book device the bookseller developed. However, it turned out that the publishers of the Orwell books didn't own the electronic rights to the works. And so to the surprise of buyers, Amazon erased the two books, which were being paid for and delivered from your electronic readers. Amazing, they can do that. But you're sitting at home with it and suddenly it's gone. Amazon's readers had originally purchased private pirate copies, it turned out. Now, if this had happened in a normal bookstore, the customer would never even have known. A bookseller who had mistakenly sold pirated copies of a book would never have snuck into customers' living rooms, pulled defending books from the shelves, and left. And left cash to the value of the purchase price on the kitchen table as recompense. In real life, there are practical and legal obstacles to this sort of behavior, but in the electronic world, it was simple. Probably Amazon won't even have to worry about legal problems relating to the action. This is just one of many examples pointing to a dramatic change in our lives we're experiencing in the coming years. In the age of networked uh, digital devices, it seems that values such as the sanctity of the private sphere, the protection of our private property, and the inviolability of our correspondence no longer counts for very much. Isn't that putting it very mildly? Whether it's gaming consoles, Blackberries, iPhones, Windows PCs, Apple computers, Blu-ray players, or the next big trend in personal computing, the netbook digital devices that are permanently or frequently in contact with their manufacturer are here to stay. All of these devices can be remotely modified at any time through software updates. So you could say that an iPhone doesn't really belong to you, at least not in the quite same way that your refrigerator does or your bicycle. The manufacturers have us all on a leash. In his 2008 book, The Future of the Internet and How to Stop It, American writer Jonathan Zittrain writes about the danger of what he calls tethered appliances. They're becoming ever more common, he argues, because software updates are supposed to protect us from attacks by hackers or viruses. Just think of the monthly ritual of the Windows update. Using this logic, Apple can dictate the terms and conditions under which software can be developed for the iPhone. The iPhone is not a PC. Not everyone can write software for the phone, and not everything can be installed in it. Hence, Apple, like Amazon, reserves the right to remotely, remotely meddle with your iPhone at any time and without the consent of the user in order to delete objectionable applications. All with the best of intentions, of course. And that's where it's all going, if anyone hasn't really noticed. It was intended to go this way. Make it easy at the beginning, get unhooked, change it all once you've got unhooked. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
food matrix. Dehumanization, dehumanization has been part of the culture creation industry for a long, long time. Because feeling sort of apathetic, in fact apathy is a key ingredient to bring in a totalitarian system. It makes people lose confidence, etc., brings in apathy. And that was a technique described by Bertrand Russell. He said we'd have to create an apathy amongst the public, an ongoing apathy. And that has been very successful. Uh, they had a lot of goals, you see, to fulfill. Now, part of their goal was eventually to let uh, the health services, especially nationalized health services, actually become authorities. And he mentioned the fact that they would be used for sterilization purposes down the road. Not too far down the road, by the way. And even going into the area of saving money, cost-effectiveness, uh, help getting hospitals to go on with assisted suicide. And bingo, as I say, you just live through this big script. If you've read their old books and you live through the script, it will, it will pop up. Basically, the books will pop up when you achieve their goal. And this is quite amazing because I'm watching the U.S. going through this planned socialized medicine scheme. And they're all really stuck on purpose for the public to, to, to watch. Stuck really on how cost-effective will this be? How much money will this save from the present system? And, I, and what I, love, I love this term they use, how can we get more for less? They, they use that for every, whenever they privatize something or change something, they always say the same thing. When they, when they privatized the water supply in Britain, they said, um, yeah, you'll get more and more water for less and less money. Of course, it, went a bit, it was jacked up about 10 times in the first year. You can't get better anything for less money. You can't. It just doesn't work that way. Anybody who goes to sales will find that out. You, you get what you buy, which you put, you put your money can afford. And here is from the BBC. And this is where the U.S. is going, because I've got the whole uh, bill, this massive bill, omnibus bill for the healthcare, and a whole bunch of other things in it, which also brings in this great Bertrand Russell idea of giving them credits instead of money, credits like tokens towards your health care. And you'll also get a panel of people, just like Britain, who will decide how much money they're going to spend on little old you. You'll get put in front of a panel, and they'll, they'll look at your, your quality of life, your standard of life, uh, how um, important are you to society. That's all a point system, you see. And how many years do you think you've got to go before you'll die, sort of thing. And, and they add all of these points up, and then that decides how, what kind of treatment you're going to get. You know, like A, B, C, D, E, or F grade treatment. I'm not kidding you. That's how it is. That's what socialized medicine is. And that's what they're bringing in the U.S. Remember, under the United Nations Charter, they said every country who signed on will eventually provide the minimum health care. Minimum health care to every person. That does not mean that every person is going to get the minimum. It will depend on your social standing a necessity to your community. It's a political agenda, not a health agenda. You can't mix the two together. Here's what's happening in Britain right now, BBC, 25th of July, 2009. The Royal College of Nursing, that's the big hoopla at the top for nursing, has dropped its opposition to the concept of helping patients to commit suicide. The college has now adopted a neutral stance 
neither supporting nor opposing a change in the law. Well, that tells you they're going to go along with it. Health staff who provides patients with the drugs needed to kill themselves can face up to 14 years in prison as it stands at the moment, right? The move comes as a survey for a newspaper suggests 74% of people want doctors to be able to help people to end their lives. Really, really, one of these fake government surveys, no doubt. According to the survey of 1,500 people for The Times, support for assisted suicide was especially strong amongst those aged between 55 and 64. Nonsense. Remember, too, the, the, the famous people who started up the polling systems said at the beginning that most folk will go along with what they think are statistics. So polls were first brought out to make people change their minds, not to give out truth. They were used to lie from the very beginning. Most folk are herd people. They go by the herd. If they think the herd's all on board on something, they jump on it themselves. That's a sad fact in nature. So Dr. Peter Carter, Royal College of Nursing Chief Executive, told BBC Radio 4 Today program that assisted suicide was a complicated issue and the nurses were split in the responses when consulted on the matter. So here's the real goal of it. Clarity is needed from the government, of course. He said the shift to the neutral stance will allow nurses who were asked about it to engage in dialogue with patients, but added, that must not be confused with us being proponents of assisted suicide. What hypocrisy. What do you do? I can I change your bedpan? Oh, by the way, what do you think of suicide? <laughs> really? <laughs> Calling for a royal commission. That's the kick the ball off, you see. He said a public inquiry would help those confused about the law. If anyone assists someone to take their life, they face up to 14 years in prison. But in reality, no one has yet been prosecuted. That's because it's a must-be. They're not going to prosecute anybody, you see. They want to at the top. Save them dough. Save them cash. Members of the RCN Council, which voted for the change on Friday, also decided that nurses should be given detailed guidance on the issue, which will now be drawn up. The guidance will consider the complicated legal, regulatory, ethical and clinical frameworks around assisted suicide. He said it would ease the pressure on those nurses who felt by discussing assisted suicide they could be interpreted as encouraging it. So, this is a must-be. It'll take a little while yet before they push it all through, but they've done it in Holland and elsewhere, and it'll, it'll come. There's no doubt. Please, plus, uh, I think Washington State was the first one to to kick it off this year under Obama. And Obama's already made it quite clear. On, on, it's a Google uh, talk he gave up there and went to one of the big committees. And he was asked about uh, the health care system. He said, we've, we've got to cut money and so on. He says, you know, what's the point in giving someone a, a placement tip if they're going to die in six months or a year's time, etc., etc.? Cost effectiveness. What's your value to society? The point system. And when you go through that, that omnibus bill, I have the whole thing here. I'm probably one of the few people who will read it because none of the guys who will vote for it will bother reading it. They'll just do what the leader tells them. It's got a lot of this kind of stuff in there too. An awful lot of that in there too. That's this very thing on which I'm reading right now. But yet you will have a panel in the U.S. who will decide after sizing you up what kind of treatment you get from grade A to F or an F minus or whatever. That's what's coming. That's what it's about. 
see, we're all economic units. And what the United Nations say is a good global citizen. A good global citizen is someone who is a producer and consumer. What happens when you're too sick to produce or you retire? You're now a consumer. That obviously means you're a burden on society. That's what's coming. That's what's coming. And just before going to the callers, there's from the Mail Online, people really are so far gone with the propaganda on this this non-event called the swine flu. As I say, there's more hype than reality to it, and an awful lot of money to be made off of it as well. But they're training the public to start taking injections for everything they're ordered to take. This is an interesting article here. 27th July 2009, Mail Online. Government virus expert paid £116,000 by the swine flu vaccine manufacturers. The scientist who advises the government on swine flu is a paid director of a drugs firm making hundreds of millions of pounds from the pandemic. Professor Sir Roy Anderson sits on the scientific advisory group for emergencies. It's called SAGE. A 20-strong task force drawing up the action plan for the virus. He also holds a £116,000 a year position on the board of GlaxoSmithKline, the company selling swine flu vaccines and antivirals to the National Health Service. Oh, sweet deal, eh? (laughs) Sweet deal. Sir Roy faced demands to step down yesterday amid claims that the jobs were incompatible. The clear conflict of interest and should be a great concern to taxpayers and government officials alike, said Matthew Elliott of the Taxpayers Alliance. He cannot have the man in charge of medical emergencies having any financial interest in the management of those emergencies. We need someone totally unbiased to tackle the crisis. And of course, the Department of Health and Glasgow Smith Klein denied there was a conflict. There's no conflict at all. The man's the, the, the main scaremonger. <laughs> And you only buy the drugs from him. There's no conflict. Where's your conflict? Hmm? But that's what we're up to today, too. The massive corruption at the top. They don't, of course, see that as corruption at the top. It's just uh, normal day's business. Because that's how they've always been. They've always been that way. Now, I'll go to Ryan in Mont- is it Montana. Hello, Ryan. Are you there in the phone? Hello, yes. Yes, I'm here. Yeah. You can hear me okay? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Well, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about the um, pharmacological, I guess you would call it, pandemic here. See, I'm, I'm 22 years old, and I've grown up in this post-world 9-11 lie, and it's just very interesting that living in this myth-drenched society that at this time the society couldn't be any more doped up and on as many drugs as they can find. Mm-hmm. And you can see it in, in my age group so bad Yep. People literally trade their anti-anxiety medication like it's candy, mm-hmm. and it's normal. I mean, ever since 9-11, it's just turned into this. I mean, it's almost like it was meant to be, like you say. It's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, it's just hard when I listen to you, and then I, I see it in real life every day. Yeah. And people, I mean, it's just for the pills every day. I mean... Well, that's, again, what Huxley and many others in the same panels that he worked with, the same associations, he says, the reason a whole series of techniques 
to, to help the controlling oligarchy uh, to make people love their servitude. And he said part of it, too, was with pharmacology and psychology combined. So you're, you're right. We're, we're right there. It's a normal thing that we pop pills to feel good. Yeah. And it's pretty scary to go and uh, read what that chapter in um, The Impact of Science on Society by Bertrand Russell mm-hmm. to read actually what he really says, yeah. and it's exactly what we have today. Exactly. Even, even right down to the creation of apathy, Oh, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, it's more true than anything. that Huxley also talked about uh, it's a very dangerous stage because by that time they would have destroyed all morality, all religion, and, and the people would have, have nothing to guide them, you see. That's, that is, I mean, mm-hmm. it's very scary reading that because you, you try to put your finger on what it is and the destruction of morality or, like you say, um, moral relativism. Mm-hmm. This idea that morality is relative, yeah. And my friends, I mean, I mean, they could never put their finger on any of this, but it really is interesting, especially after 9/11, how this entire pharmacological—I mean, I call it a pandemic—has mm-hmm. has developed. I mean, it, it, it's stunning. It, it really is. I, I can't get over it. <laughs> yeah, it's been one thing after another, and and the, the entire push to destroy the last the last of an old way of life. And, and that really is what it is, destroying the old completely, leveling it completely, morality, everything, old traditions, all that's been destroyed to bring in the new society of total control. Yeah. And it really, it, it really does seem like that's where it's at because, I mean, you can even tell kids that have grown up in my age, you know, haven't grown up with a st- strong family foundation, and their morals and what they consider to be right and wrong, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't. It, it, it doesn't. And, and, and the most fascinating thing about this is when you talk about um, Plato and you talk about music and how he wanted to have it licensed. Yep. Uh, the effects of music and the music you hear nowadays with all these young women coming out and the songs are about drugs, sex, mm-hmm. yep. be stupid. I mean... It really is fascinating to see how it kind of all all connects, and, yes, I, I, and, and, I, and I can't get over it. And that whole culture industry, believe you me, it's not those young girls coming out with those ideas. It's the big uh, culture creators behind them who know how to do it and who know what kind of message they want for this particular generation to absorb. I read an article recently, a few weeks ago, of how so many young women now are trying to emulate the starlets and, and the young and, and the female musicians and their dress that they're getting, going bankrupt. They're all into drugs thinking it's a trendy thing because these girls apparently, according to the media and Hollywood now, so they're all into drugs. So this is the culture industry. It's monkey see, monkey do. And they've been at this for a long, long time. And now, yeah, they're simply bringing us to the lowest common denominator of, of the abyss. Basically, and, yeah. and you, you literally, when you say that about the, the females, you, you really couldn't be any more right because that is what I see every day. Mm-hmm. It's the same girl with the same ideals, all received from the same place. Mm-hmm. It's, it's unbelievable, but I, I really appreciate what you're doing, and I just wanted to let you know that if anyone is getting anything out of what you do, I certainly do, sir. Well, thanks for calling. And hang in there because we need people who can still think. <laughs> Yes. Oh, well, I hope so. Thank you very much, Alan. Bye now. And, yeah, it's true that the drugs are being pushed at such an incredible speed now. 
but I, again, I, not, I noticed my, the shift myself to, to the young females, again, through much music and through all the, the magazines that they, that they see and want to emulate. Uh, and it's very, very true. They give us the stars and the people follow them. They all want to be trendy and be up there. And there's more and more women now into the harder drugs, thinking it's, they're being successful, getting up the ladder by taking those drugs, and it's destroying them. And, of course, the culture industry is doing its job because that's what it's designed to do. <laughs> Now, we'll go to Brandon from Florida. Hey there, Brandon. I am. Uh, good yes. to speak with you. Yes. Um, I wanted to say thanks for um, for all that you do, and uh, I've been going through your blurbs, and uh, you should put together, like, a soundtrack of all the songs you put in at the end, because those are... I've never heard many of those, and they're tough. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's one song I actually want to ask you what it was called. It was uh, about, like, a... A squirrel chasing a peanut, or and uh, oh, oh, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 drive me sane or something. It was, it was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, we used to have songs at one time that have sort of a satire in them because it could reflect again, like comedy. You get a message across with an easier uh, method of delivery. Uh, people, everybody could laugh at and know the seriousness of it at the same time. That's pretty well gone today. Yeah, so uh, I thought those are all great selections, and I really appreciate them. Yeah. Um, I was wondering... Um, I'll, I'll tell you, you, hold on till after this break, and, and we'll come right back with you. through the matrix and we're talking to dave from arizona still there dave that's brandon that's brandon okay yeah. uh yeah i was speaking with my brother about uh, movies and how there's a lot of predictive programming in them and um i'm not so knowledgeable on that area and he was asking for like examples of because he i mean he believes a lot of the things about the new world order and all that but um i guess i was wondering if you I, I didn't really know of any specific examples of actually actual funding given to directors or whatever. I don't know if you could provide give me something to funding tell about. To, to directors of of, of the movie or like or producers, you know, to put out these. Oh, well, well, how it works is is really from the writers. Is from the first off the go, it's from the writers, uh, and you find a lot of um, mainstream, uh, big sci-fi type writers, especially. They attend the Futuristic Society, the Futurist Society. They call them the Futurists. And it's an association, and you go there, and the big uh, grant providers turn up there, like people from the Rockefeller Foundation and so on. And they will pick certain writers and tell them, um, we want you to get express this in a book, write a story around it, make it exciting, but get these messages into the book, you see? And yeah. then it goes into book form, and then often it becomes is given to some director to put into a movie. You find lesser script writers that don't get them in books will, will sort of copy them. There's always a whole bunch of spin-offs on similar themes come out at the same time by lesser mm -hmm. writers. It's like music too, by the way. Music is exactly the same. Uh, you, you bring out a new soft sound, um, where it's punk, rap, or whatever, and then everyone suddenly knows what's now in, what's been authorized to be in, because it, it keeps getting played all the time. 
And so everyone gets in on the act. So it's the same with the, the writing, that the major writers will put out a book form, they'll put in new social context, uh, contexts inside the book, uh, even new types of human behavior that will happen in the, in the near future. And then um, they write an exciting story, generally man, woman, he, the hero gets the woman in the end after getting chased all over the place. Very simple stories. Uh, but uh, you've been programmed during the reading and you don't realize it. And then it's the same thing in the movie. There, there, there's no doubt about it. Some of the biggest directors in Hollywood are really in on so much of the real sciences that the Pentagon have that we don't hear about till maybe 20 years later. There's no yeah, doubt about definitely, that. Um, they're definitely picking up the speed now. With the, Almost every movie that comes out seems like it's Got some kind of yes. And, I, and I've read articles. Kind of... I've read articles on the radio from mainstream media where it tells you what the Pentagon's budget for the year is to Hollywood. So they're, really? they're, they're, they've always been up to their you know their eyes with with Hollywood productions, uh, especially military themes. Um, these disaster movies, uh, futuristic disaster movies, they're right in there with it. You know, why is the Pentagon funding these kind of sci-fi movies? Except they were all getting trained to live uh, in a sort of destitute world of massive change where we'll all be living in rubble except for a world corporation and uh, with a massive black-clad military police-type force running over us. That's in so... I think they turned out 10 of these movies in a row uh, earlier this year, you know. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks very much for calling. And you should also look into uh, some books out there with Hollywood uh, and its association with the Pentagon. This book's been printed all the way from World War II onwards and how they even helped to get recruiting for for the U.S. military via via movies and all funded through the U.S. military by the military. Same today. Well, that's it from Hamish myself in Ontario, Canada. So, good night. And may your God or your gods go with you. And remember to help me out through donations, donations etc. Bye now.